Hello and welcome to the 30th episode of Pincount, the podcast where we go deep into the tech. We're not your normal tech news podcast. We'll dig into the APIs, look at the tech specs and sweat the details. We're not journalists, we're developers and computer scientists. I'm Ian Wallace. I'm here with my co-host Douglas Shearer. Hi Ian. Um, it's been a while since our last episode. We've both been on holiday. Yeah, probably about two months by the time this goes up, I reckon. Yeah, pretty much. But that's fine. This is summer. People have got other things to do. Yeah, they don't want to listen to us waffle on. So we've got very little follow-up, mostly because I just had to check the show notes to see what we talked about last time. <laughs> it's been that long. What's our, what have we got here? Uh, so our, yeah, some follow-up, and then I think we'll talk about backups. But, okay. Okay, so the first follow-up item here. Um, you, you're questioning me in the show notes here. Yeah. Okay, so last episode we talked about using um, the Python module HTTP server to get a quick little uh, web server running anywhere you've got anywhere you've got Python, right? And I, I put a note in the show notes saying I literally used HTTP server to upload that episode. And you said, do I mean test locally before uploading? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, no, I mean to I mean to upload because I was I was editing the podcast on the train on my laptop, and I want you to get the edited file onto my I was editing on a laptop that didn't doesn't have access to my Dropbox for various reasons and I wanted to get it onto my phone so I could upload it to Dropbox so the way I did it was I tethered to my phone with a laptop I ran python-mhttp server on my laptop and then on my phone browsed the laptop's IP address to then download the file and save it into Dropbox ah okay cool yeah so I thought you said I used it that's why I was confused no no I used it so like I was using that was a nice little trick there. If anyone wasn't following that, is if you need to get a file from your computer onto your iOS device without any cables and just get into the normal sort of sharing mechanism, yeah, just Python server, Tether. Uh, if you you can just do an IF config or whatever on your laptop, find out where your IP address is, hit that IP address from your phone, and you get a, you get the web server you just started. And there you go, easy way of transferring files with no need for any dedicated software on either end, really. It's quite a neat trick. Yeah, nice. Yeah, and we should have said last time we actually use... There's a script in the source code for the Pinkout Podcast website. There's a script in bin server that basically uses... Um, it uses range HTTP server, which is a slightly different variant. It allows you to do range requests, so you can serve the audio and only pick out parts of the audio if you're sort of scrubbing to further in the audio. So we we use that. It's very similar. Yeah, um, I'll put a link to that, too. Well, I'll link to that file in the uh, show notes. I'm, I'm just looking at this file now, and it's, uh, now and it's, it's got the... Um saying, oh, you might need to pip install range HTTP TTP server, and it says you may be required to use sudo to install. I should point out if you're installing Python modules in your root Python environment, you're a terrible, terrible human being, and you should stop that right at once, because uh, you'll make yeah, a right mess yeah. of things. I'm certainly not suggesting that's a good day. Virtual, virtual end for uh, Conda for the win, I would say. Yeah, so install 15 other things, and then you're good to go. Nah, and then at least you don't make a total mess of your Python and end up having to just throw it all in the sea because you're, nothing works anymore. <laughs> and their second follow-up point is about 10 nanometer. I mean, did you see this news that Intel have said that 10 nanometer production systems will be out um, holiday 2019, which is American speak for Christmas next year? Yeah, so I, I did see this. And then in the last episode, we actually talked about they've got like a it's like Intel Core i3-8121U is a 10 nanometer CPU that you can buy right now in some low-end Lenovo notebook. We've got the links to it in the last show notes. So they do already have systems out there, but I guess this is then talking about their sort of desktop and mobile platforms that most people will buy. Yeah, uh, they say um, mass producing, so I guess this just must be small volume parts. Yeah. Small volume yeah. parts with low yields, I guess. 
I mean, this is this is Intel publishing a press release saying that you know giving a date for a future product. If we've learned anything from the last couple of years, they're not going to stick to this. It's going to be like twenty twenty. This is this is something to keep investors happy, like this news. So what you're saying is there's no going to be no big CPU bumps anytime soon. Talking which, I guess the other news, um, just to slide a news item into the middle of our, our show notes, <laughs> the new Intel chips have finally hit max. Um, the sort of thing we've yep. we've talked about these chips previously because I've got one of the ultra low power four cores in in the laptop and uh, XPS thirteen, and this is those same chips finally getting into the into the max. Um, so you're going to get a new Mac. Like, so if anyone's not kept up with it, four cores in a 13-inch, um, six cores in a 15-inch, that's pretty much it. Some bigger, yeah. faster SSDs. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm considering it. The thing that puts me off is that they have adjusted the keyboard, but I want, to, I want to let other people work out if it's reliable or not. My current machine's five and a half years old and the keyboard still works. So Do you use the keyboard much? I want to do that again. Um, I do when I travel. I mean, you're right. Most of the time on my desk, I use like a separate keyboard. But like, I would like it to work. I'm not going to spend three thousand pounds on a new notebook to have the keyboard not work. But what? Yeah, I don't know. Some big wins for it in you though, because as I, I think I mentioned when we talked about it before, I find the integrated GPU in these drives a 4K screen just fine. Like it doesn't sweat. Yeah. Yeah. Then they and like I said before, the SSDs is probably the biggest bump for me. Think of your eyes, man. Get some nice retina screens up in front of you. <laughs> The interesting thing on those new new notebooks is like generation to generation. This is the biggest bump since I think um, Ivy Bridge to Sandy Bridge, which yeah. is 2012, 2012, 2013. Yeah, 2012. Um, so it's actually like a pretty serious performance bump. Um, so yeah, that's that, that. That's quite tempting. Yeah, I think yeah. Given yours is five years old, I think you'd see pretty nice improvement. But yeah, do you mean literally with smaller pixels? Yeah, yeah. You literally see the nice improvement. Yeah. Um, get some monitors while you're at. It. Okay, so you, you've chosen a topic for tonight, um, so I'll let you lead on it, but you've chosen backups, so yeah, um, I don't know, it's an, it's an important thing, an interesting topic, and let me, like, I have an official policy on people that don't back up, which is zero sympathy, like, if, yeah. if you backed up, if you at least tried, I will help, but like, you know what it's like, someone's always going, ah, they'll ask you, because, oh, you know about computers, and oh, I'm this problem, I've lost a file, whatever, and it's like, oh, well, just take it off your backup, and if at that point they go, I don't have a backup, I'm just like... Uh, you know sucks to be you yeah. <laughs> and then uh, yeah zeros. I pretty much did the same thing people drop their phone in a toilet or something like oh no I've lost all my photos in my phone what do you mean you've lost them you don't have a backup no yeah I know it's like well that'll learn you basically yeah so I think with lots of this I'm going to talk about it and the same for you we're going to talk about it from this perspective of like um, desktop PCs Macs and Linux and Windows or whatever you're running Um. I will say when certain things are applicable to servers as well, but for servers and um, phones, it's, it's all different. For, you know, you should have a if you're running servers, you should have a strategy for your backups already. You shouldn't be listening to a podcast to get that. But um, yeah, but maybe maybe people will be interested. Um, but I guess it's likely to be slightly bespoke in some ways. But yeah, um, I, I think it's worth touching on phones and iOS. I can talk about what I do there. I think um, okay, I maybe have a slightly different perspective because I was changing phones and phone platforms quite a lot for a few years so that that sort of informs my strategy a bit there so we'll come on to that so you've kind of um split this out a bit in this topic to a few different things about backups so local backups versus remote backups and then a bit about integrity which is kind of good to cover these points i think it might be worth talking about a bit about risk as well i think is a yeah worthy point here so you probably get what i'm meaning but 
I'm thinking this would be a good place to start because a big part of informing your backup strategy is do you even care, right? It's um, what do you stand to lose and does it even matter? That's that's worth considering because it may be you literally don't have anything you care about on your phone, for example. Yeah. And so backing up is not a problem. I mean, maybe you never take any photos. All you're doing is browsing the web and making phone calls. So it might not be appropriate to even bother. Um, and similarly, it might be the complete opposite, right? Yeah. I mean, I think like a lot of the time it's just what you're mitigating against. I mean, for me, on the phone, the most important thing is probably the photographs. Like, there's almost nothing else that's worthwhile having on there. There is messages and such like, but I'm not going to look back through old messages. There's just the convenience of like, oh, I discussed such and such with so and so, and you can search for it and find the conversation. But that, that's pretty much it. Photographs are something I'd very much like to keep if possible. Yeah, like you said, convenience is a big part of it as well. I think a lot of the reason. Or a lot of inform- we'll probably get into this in the strategy. A lot of reason forming some of my backup strategy is convenience. Yeah, you want to start on local backups. So do you want to define what you mean there, and then tell me a bit about either the options or what you do. Or yeah, so local backups there, I would say you're mitigating against, say, your your computer having some sort of electrical failure or a hard drive failing, that sort of thing, where you've got another copy of the data like in the same place. Um, obviously, in that case, you're usually not mitigating against. You know the building that the machine's in burning down because then you're going to lose all the local backups yeah well. i mean this is what we mean by risk is it like if your only backup is on that portable hard drive which lives in your laptop bag with your laptop that is not preventing the risk of someone nicks your bag or you leave your bag on back you leave your bag on the train i mean these are let's be fair this is the most likely cause that most people need a backup is you leave your laptop on the train someone nicks your bag or you spill your cup of coffee all over it right yeah so my, my strategy with local backups is I do two things. I do I, I use Macs for my work. So I've got Time Machine, which just runs against a, a hard drive on my desk. It just does its regular backups. I don't really touch it much. I, I might look at it. I, re- I looked the other day for a file I deleted by accident and just got the file back from Time Machine. Um, and then the second thing I do is I... Once a week, I do clones to two different sets of drives, um, external drives. One clone, a complete clone of the machine to a hard disk, and a second complete clone to an SSD in a a Thunderbolt enclosure. Um, And the plan there is, if my notebook does fail, I can go and get my spare notebook, put it on the desk, plug the drives in, and boot the machine from the external drive, probably the SSD, and then from the time machine backup i can pull more recent stuff that's you know been done since the last backup which it last clone which is at oldest a week old the idea there is to get me back and working as quick as possible with the clones Mm -hmm. yeah and that's that's a good reason to have a complete local backup and that's why some people are selective about what they back up backing up everything like using you mentioned super deeper here is a great utility for just cloning a drive yeah can do incremental updates and things like that as well and the great thing about super duper is it does clone absolutely everything so you can as you say you can literally boot off the disk and it's exactly the same yeah so my clones i do them on a monday the ssd clone takes about 10 minutes the hard disk clone takes about 20 minutes and once they're done i just know everything's copied they're not they're, i'm not being selective about it i'm just making sure everything's copied it's just like the dumbest thing possible i can do yeah and it's kind of like an interesting point if you're considering you're thinking oh but that uses up loads more space and so on yeah it does but so what you buy a two terabyte drive rather than a one terabyte drive and it costs you 50 quid more or whatever but then that's worth it the one time you need to use it so yeah it's, for, for me it's definitely been worth it i've only had i've done this strategy for 
maybe maybe almost 10 years now uh, and there has been four or five times where i've had to use it and it saves me hours and hours i can be literally up and running in 20 minutes so another interesting point to consider here which is worth mentioning may or may not talking about personal strategies here but it's when you're considering risk as well and you're thinking about risks particularly i'm thinking about theft risk or espionage industrial or otherwise depending on work if you're making complete clones of drives or even backups of anything, you should also consider the security of these backups because it's all very well having yep. encrypted by default SSDs and modern Macs and all this and it's all biometrically protected and then you've just got a completely in the clear copy sat on a, a hard drive in the pocket of your bag sort of thing. Then, well, who cares about all that security if you're already cracking it for the would-be attacker? So Yeah. Yeah, I think I think if you've got if you've got if your machine that you work on has encrypted drives, the data that from there that you back up, whatever it is, should be encrypted as well. And I kind of feel if your machine you work on doesn't have encrypted drives, wake up, it's twenty eighteen. Is my kind of opinion on that? Yeah, yeah. So it's just just something to consider as well. But again, it's about assessing the risk. If it's just your home photos on that backup, then uh, maybe encrypting actually adds a risk that you'd lose the means to decrypt them. So it might might actually make things worse rather than better. I guess the key thing here is we're wanting wanting to make you think and think about what to do. So I guess my local solution, um, I have Time Machine to a very local, directly connected drive. I That's always connected. I have another Time Machine to another drive that is still in the same building but far further away. Um, again, this gives me more frequent backups, a bit of um, duplication there in different places. Um, the nice thing about using a different drive on the network is, especially if you've got laptops backing up, it means they will always back up even if you've not plugged them in in a while, right? You don't have to rely on physically yeah. plugging a thing in. So that that's the main reason I have that as well because there's laptops being backed up to it. And that, yeah. the laptops as well also get backed up to a local drive, but obviously that's only whenever they get plugged in. So having it on the network as well just, you know, removes a risk. And especially if the laptop is at this higher risk of knocking it off the table, spilling a coffee on it, etc. Yeah. You mentioned in here RAID. <laughs> uh Saving myself the yeah. effort of uh, bleeping something out by not saying what you actually wrote in here. So um, <laughs> Yeah, RAID is not a backup. RAID is no. worse than a backup. RAID, depending on what RAID yeah. you use, you could be making things worse. Um, just having two disks in the same thing does not make things more reliable. In fact, it's twice as likely you'll see a drive failure. And in fact, it's more than twice as likely you'll see a drive failure because you get data losses due to misconfigured RAID arrays and also yeah. failures to rebuild a RAID array correctly. So you're actually, you introduce a new risk of data loss, which is one drive in your RAID array fails. So you replace the drive, put the new drive in, rebuild the RAID array. And that is not, it's quite straightforward, but it is a process in which things can go wrong and then you can lose data. So you, in some ways, you yeah. introduce a new risk of data loss. Um, and in general, RAID isn't recommended, just full stop. Yeah, I think especially now with SSDs, there's, there's little to no need to use RAID at all. Like back in the days, I, the only time I've ever really used it um, a lot is like um, MySQL servers or SQL servers that you know had um, high loads on them, and then maybe like a bunch of drives in RAID six is what we'd use or RAID ten. But for like a local machine, I don't think so. I'm, I'm putting a link in here to a nice article on Puget Systems where they why RAID is usually a terrible idea. Yeah, nice. And it, it it's a nice it's a nice short read. You can read it in three minutes or so. And it just yeah, it's basically what I just said. It explains why read is not normally what you want. You'd be better spending your money on a faster disk some other way, if that's what you really need. Yeah, with backups, even local backups, to say you want like a fully independent backup, 
where you're backing up to a different device as maybe even like a different mode of failure. I know people that do multiple external backups and they actually deliberately buy hard drives from either different batches or different manufacturers just because they might fail in different ways. Okay, so next one's remote backups. And I've kind of touched on this. You're talking about more remote. So I talk about having a network backup destination so that laptops don't have to be physically connected. But you're talking about off- off-site, yeah. right? Yeah, well, yeah, off-site. If, you're, if your office or house burns down, you lose all your local backups, your laptop, your desktop, whatever, you've still got a copy of your data somewhere else. Yeah, so I guess I can start on this one. I use Backblaze, um, auto- automatic online backup, basically. It's a bit like Time Machine, but online. Um that's pretty much a nice, simple explanation of it. It's pretty good. Um, again, they support various encryption yep. in transit and at rest, so you can encrypt it so even they can't get your data. I also do the, the good old-fashioned way of very occasionally stashing a hard drive with a backup of stuff I really care about at a relative's house. So, you know, it's, it's the old-fashioned yep. way of doing it, but there's, there's space for that too, and the cost of an extra hard drive, it's, it's worth it. Yeah, so I use Backblaze as well. I definitely recommend that people uh, use the built-in encryption functionality where you choose a key, your data is encrypted at your end before it gets sent across the wire. So Backblaze or any anyone that attacks Backblaze and tries to get your data or anyone else's data can't access it without the keys. I definitely recommend that. It's a bit extra setup, but you, you've already got keys for other things, so it's not too bad. And that's definitely a case where I'd say if you have got keys and you have backups for those keys, you can even print them out on paper and like store them at someone else's house or a relative you know a relative's house or you know a good friend's house and don't just leave them on your desk things lots of things to consider here in backups which which brings me to an important point which i'll get onto at the end which is talking about restoring it's not a backup unless you can recover from it you mentioned tarsnap here what's that yeah yeah so i don't use tarsnap i know lots of people that do use tarsnap tarsnap's a sort of backblaze type service um it's a bit sort of um, you describe it as like um, maybe geekier. It's a bit more hardcore. But basically, the idea with Tarsnap is you do deduplication on your end. It deduplication it encrypts the files, it sends the files across to Tarsnap, who run their storage on Amazon S3. They can't access the data in the files because you've already encrypted it, and they store it for like a, a very small monthly fee. You say hardcore, they price it in pico dollars per byte month. It's like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely got a certain audience. And that's actually a thing I'd recommend if you run like one server. This is the sort of thing I recommend you use to do backups. Doing your own backups to Amazon S3 is great, but Tarsnap do um, stuff like incremental backups. So you can just do the incremental part and then figure out the full, how all the files looked when you're downloading them, when you're restoring them. Yeah, to briefly touch on the server thing, as you said, rolling your own backups to S3, that like something like that, some online cloud storage provider and doing some backup that way, that is a, a common way of backing up servers. There's, Various ways this can be automated. It's often yeah. built into the tools depending on uh, what cloud platform you're using. It's pretty much all I'll say about that, I guess. Um, what I'll maybe do is discuss some other interesting options for backups, um, both kind of local and remote, and they can be kind of rolled into one. So some NAS that are reasonable price for home use, so for example, like the Synology NAS, they support various remote backup sources, and they themselves can also be a time machine source. So yes. for example, you can have a Synology yeah. with very little effort configured as your time machine destination and then it can be backing up encrypted backups to s3 that are incremental and so on yeah nice solutions around that sort of thing where you can combine these two you can make backups easy okay so i would also say with respect to backups and talking about backing up automatically that's a key it's not a backup if it's not automatic that's that's my view if you have to do something to make the backup happen it's not really a backup yeah yeah. you've got an archive at best and again that's why i personally prefer solutions that will happen without me having to physically plug a thing into a thing i use them as well because for convenience 
but I don't rely solely upon them. And then I guess this final piece of the puzzle here you mentioned is integrity. So do you want to mention about that? Yeah, so I mean, if you put a file on a disk, there's no guarantee it's the same even seconds later with a lot of file systems. Yeah, and let alone years later, and not even like disks, um, physical media, like if you're putting backups on DVDs or anything, basically don't believe the file system's lies. <laughs> so what can you do about this? The best solution for it would be a file system that do- automatically does integrity protection. Um, and I gave an example of this before, it was in previously, and that's um, ZFS, which was originally Sun Microsystems. Um, and it's a file system where as it's storing data to the disk in blocks, runs checksums on the data. So if any individual bit or multiple bits, I can't remember who, what level of parity it has, are damaged, it can go back and repair those. So the files always always has the same checksum when you recover it from the disk as it did when you put it on the disk. Yeah, it's probably uh, ZFS for the confused Americans listening. And you also mentioned PAR2 and ParChive. Yeah, so there's a an open source... Is it open source? There's a, there's a standard called ParChive, which is... Um, a file format where you can use various tools to create parity archives, check uh, checksums of your files you already have, and you can store that somewhere else. So you can ren- then run the tool with the the parity archive against the files you you originally ran it against, and it'll tell you if any of them are damaged, and it'll hopefully be able to repair it. Gary Bernhardt talks about this a fair bit. He does it with his own files. Um, I'll put a link. Um, and the show notes to him talking about that um, and some of his sort of useful scripts he's got scripts for doing things like if the archive, is, the parity archive itself is damaged um, he's got a script that will actually let you recover recover damaged files even in that case to the best that the archive will allow you to yeah there's, there's plenty of open source implementations of um, PAR2 yeah. um, so that's this is a kind of roll your own sort of thing but um, a lot of backup services or Automated backups will include some sort of priority checking as part of it, as part of what they do. Um, so, yeah. yeah, depending on your solution, you can maybe avoid this. In my opinion, like backups became more. Like, Apple introduced Time Machine to Macs like about ten years ago. Um, iOS got backups like you know five, six years ago that just worked. I know Windows has a similar a similar thing to Time Machine. These things became consumer features. It became easy to use so people would actually have backups rather than just not knowing anything about it. I think integrity protection will become the same eventually once people start You say backups. Them. I think Apple did a good thing in branding Time Machine as Time Machine because the Windows mm. um, file history feature, which is basically the same thing, no one knows about that unless you've gone looking. Yeah. People are way less likely to have it set up. On iOS, yeah, the, you're talking about the backups are automatically to iCloud rather than the manual iTunes ones. As I said, if you had to plug it in and do something, yep. it's not a backup. So that maybe gives us a nice segue into mobile devices. So part of um, my kind of scheme, if you like, for mobile devices, yeah, I use iCloud or whatever, as nearly everyone else does. But because I've been switching between devices, Android devices, um, Windows Phone devices, etc., in the past and various others, the way I kind of do it is the photos are the things I care about. So I've always had some sync mechanism to get them into a Lightroom library on my Mac. Yep. And then that gets backed up via the automated means that does. And I make sure they automatically sync in there. So at the moment, um, that happens because they sync, well, they go via PhotoStream, or at least the most recent 1,000 into Photos on my Mac. Use one app called PhotoStream to folder and another plugin in Lightroom is set to monitor that that PhotoStream folder. So every time Lightroom starts, it pulls in all the latest photos. So that keeps that up to date as well. Yeah. As yeah. well as an automated backup, this is a nice side benefit of all, all my iPhone photos end up automatically in Lightroom anyway, so that's quite nice as well. Yeah. Also, I use Google Photos, so I have a 
additional copy i'm not going to say backup because unless you're paying money for google photos it's not guaranteed to be exactly the same file there's a nominal yeah. 16 megapixel limit on it so i have that back up there as well so that's kind of my my mobile approach on a uh, slightly different approach on android you rely you can rely lean more if you like on google photos there's another thing you can do which is dropbox as a feature which you can enable on android or i believe ios where it'll automatically back up your photos to dropbox and then I could use my same sort of set of scripts and applications that ensure it ends up in Lightroom. And they just, it just relies on monitoring a folder. So that would work with Dropbox as well. So I can have yeah. my photos going the same way and nothing else, everything else on my phone synced to some service or other. So I don't necessarily yeah. care about. I'd also add that there is valid strategies of no backups at all. Like I mentioned, if you assess the risk. So I've had machines I use, which don't get backed up because the machines grab a new machine. I can restore the configuration of all the libraries on it is managed by some sort of configuration management. So restoring an OS install is a matter of running a script and going and making a cup of coffee. And any data is, is all elsewhere and backed up. And Yeah, yeah. So I think that's quite a nice chat up about backups. If anyone's got any uh, other ways they back up or things they think you missed, do write us in. Um, wrong on the internet at pincountpodcast.com. My advice would be to... Yeah, test your backups. Like, don't just rely on, oh, I've copied the data over there, it's good. Like, occasionally go and look at it, make sure it's okay. If you do have, like, clone drives, once every few months, plug them in, make sure you can actually boot from them. Because you, you never know if something's gone wrong until you find out it's gone And then I would also say, even if you're just doing it as a paper exercise, if there's a risk you're worried about, just, just kind of map out what it is. Because, I mean, you don't want to say, let's consider a situation where you've got local backups to Time Machine, you're backing up to Backblaze, you've been a good little girl and you've got your encryption keys all recorded and stuff. And then you think about the case of, okay, what happens if my house burns down? And how do I restore? So you go, okay, I go and buy a new laptop and then I, my Time Machine backup's burnt, so I need to restore my backup of Backblaze. So I'll just go and fetch my key, which I wrote down so it wasn't on the computer, which is good. And I stored it inside my filing cabinet, which is in my burnt down house right <laughs> yeah yeah so it's worth thinking about those and i'm not saying you have to be paranoid and consider every eventuality you just need to decide if it's an acceptable risk because you might be okay you know what if my house burns down i've got other problems yeah so thanks for listening to pin count show notes are online at pincountpodcast.com you can find me on twitter at, at douglas f shearer and you can find ian on twitter at, at the underscore accidental you can follow the show at pincount podcast we'd love to get your feedback tweet us or use that use or use the hashtag AskPinCount, or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. For longer feedback, or if you just can't explain how wrong we got something without reference to the API documentation and CAD drawings, email wrongontheinternet at pincountpodcast.com. Okay, what's this in the after show? What's that? Pokemon or Big Data? So wait, what's this? Right, okay. <laughs> Click that. Okay, a webpage that's got two buttons? Yep. It's uh, Pokemon or Big Data. It gives you a name, and you've got to guess whether that is the name of a Pokemon, the Japanese trading card thing, or it's a Big Data too. Right, so I don't work in Big Data or Pokemon, so let's let's, let's play this game. Yeah, I don't do I, but it's very okay, funny. Okay. Or I don't use these two. Let me quiz you on. Spoink. S-P-O-I-N-K. Uh, that's, that's Big, big data. data. Nope, Spoink is Pokemon. Spoink is a bouncy psychic-type <laughs> Pokemon that can up use a Splunk. A software suite for analyzing log data. Okay, Vulpix. V-U-L-P-I-X. That sounds like a Pokemon. Yeah, it's got to be a Pokemon. Yay, it's a Pokemon. Jirachi? Jirachi? Spell like Jira, then Chi, C-H-I. It's going to be big data for going through your Jira boards. 
it's a Pokemon. Okay, <laughs> I think we should just... extend this game by uh, guessing what it is. If we if it's big data. Okay, next one quickly. Deli bird. Ah, that's a, a Pokemon. Okay, okay. Yep, it's a Pokemon. Right, next. Pangool. Big Are they data? all Pokemon? Let's go bacon. It is big data. Right, what do you think it does? <laughs> yeah, we got one right, right. I think we should leave it where we're ahead. 